Hi, I'm Lauren Burdett, and you're listening to Life as Spiritual Practice, a podcast where we explore what it's like to experience ordinary life as a way to connect with the holy. If you are feeling stuck in your spiritual journey, this might be the inspiration you've been looking for. As you know, if you've been listening for a while, you will often find pauses and moments of silence in our conversation, which is one of the ways that I listen. These can feel awkward, but I invite you to receive these pauses as a gift. We have these conversations with each other, but we also have them with you. And the pauses are a chance for you to notice what the conversation stirs up in your own soul. I am delighted to introduce my conversation partner today, Kylie Primus. Kylie is a lifelong gamer, a label that may evoke negative feelings in some, but that he has spent his career trying to redeem. He believes games are serious business. In the early part of his adult life, he pursued a PhD in ethics with an emphasis on how we interact with each other digitally particularly through social media and virtual game spaces. That changed in 2010 when he discovered the blossoming world of modern board games and felt a spiritual pull towards face-to-face play with others around a table. It sidelined his career, and now he owns a board game store in Pittsburgh where he lives with his wife and two daughters. Kylie, welcome. Thanks for having me, Laura. Yeah. So. Your bio is so intriguing and and really sets the stage for our conversation. Um, so I was wondering if you could maybe take us in into 2010 with yeah. you and into that shift. Yeah, so uh, I got married in, uh, at the very end of 2009. I had moved to Pittsburgh. I had been teaching philosophy in South Carolina, uh, adjunct mm-hmm. teaching and had uh, been let go just due to cutbacks and uh, had started dating a woman who lived in Pittsburgh, so moved up here and we got married. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was unable to find a teaching job. Uh, I was working at a coffee shop and we just sort of started playing games. Um, there was uh, a particular game, uh, it was a TV show called Battlestar Galactica that was very uh, prominent in our courtship and we learned that there was a board game about it so we bought it and it's it's a big long heavy you know three hour long sort of what a lot of people think of board games not necessarily one i would recommend Mm -hmm. but uh but we loved it uh and but we we played it with friends we had friends who liked the show and and you need a a decent group of people to do that Mm -hmm. well we you know after we got married we really enjoyed that feeling of playing games, but we wanted to be able to play games with just the two of us. And just around the corner, almost literally across the street from the coffee shop where I worked, was a board game store. So I went in there and got some recommendations of games, and we started playing them and just fell in love with with this pastime. You know, uh, It's the early days of our marriage, so we're still getting to know each other in a lot of ways, and this was a great way to do that. Tell, tell me about that. How is uh, playing games a great way to get to know someone? Well, you, you learn how they think, uh, mm-hmm. or more particularly, you learn how they think differently from you, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, in, a traditional, in a traditional game, it's competitive. You know, I'm trying to win. We're, we're looking at the board, and I'm trying to decide, given what's happening, what's the best strategy? What should I do? And you'll often see your opponent, especially in a two-person game, they'll do something completely different that you, you think to yourself, mm. you, your immediate thought, you know, because you, you've got your own ego involved, your immediate thought is, well, that was a stupid move. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but then you'll be surprised. A couple moves later, you'll go, oh, mm. wait a minute. Maybe that wasn't as stupid a move as I thought. You know, I, didn't, I didn't plan for that. And that's because they, they are seeing the board state differently than you. Uh, and when you have, when you have a gaming partner, when you have an opponent that, uh, you know, you can talk to about it after the game, why did you do this? How did you do that? You know, what were you thinking? Um, it just really opens up 
a window into how they think about the game, but I also posit it's a window into how they think about the world. Yeah. Oh, that is so interesting to me. Um, it's stirring up for me work that um, that my husband and I have been doing around the Enneagram mm -hmm. this year and mm -hmm. realizing through that just Yes, that I think that what I see is reality. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. he thinks what he sees is reality. And actually, we're, we're just holding a slice. Um, yes. And how game playing, oh, like is a practice ground for that insight to really embody and experience the, the different ways of seeing. Absolutely. Um, and that's, you know, I, I mentioned like quote unquote traditional competitive games because that's what a lot of people are familiar with but there are tons and tons and tons of cooperative games where you're working together mm. to basically solve problems to beat the game and that opens up a whole new space because now we're talking through our strategies together i think we should do this for this reason you think we should do this for this other reason and you know that allows you to get inside the other person's head in the middle of the game yeah it and takes humility, you know, and mm -hmm. so that's intriguing to me as well, because you, you said my ego's involved and yes. when you're playing and trying to win, you know, your ego's there front and center and yet to be able to engage in dialogue and shift to somebody else's point of view. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that is one of the key things uh, when, when I began thinking about gaming as a spiritual practice, um, it's it's an activity engaged within others or with others um you know so there's a reason that i I've, i talk about tabletop games board games card games and i make a distinction between those and video games largely because video games tend to be solitary or when they're not solitary you may be playing online with people you know they're not people in the same room uh and i'm not that's not to demean that medium it's just to say that it's it's a different experience than when yeah. you are at the table with someone. So the important thing, many people, they come into my shop, you know, and they're, they're drug into my shop by a friend and they say, I don't, <laughs> I don't like board games. And nine times out of 10, I just look at them and say, you had an older brother that used to beat you at Monopoly all the time, didn't you? <laughs> and they'll say, um... they'll say, yeah. You know, and they think that they think that playing a board game is about, getting beaten up by an older sibling or you proving how smart you are or something like that. And that's, that's the ego. And you have to let that go. I think you have to let that go in order to enjoy games at all, uh, much less to think of them as a spiritual practice. There's a very prolific, very famous game designer named Reiner Knizia. And he has a quote from him that I love, uh, sort of, sort of like a Zen koan. He says, the, the goal of the game is to win, but it's the goal that is important, not the winning. Mm. And I love What's that. I was just going to ask what that holds for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it seems to not make sense. And yet it does. When you think that we sit down to play a game, for it to work, we all have to try to win. Right. If I've played games with people who, oh, I don't really care. And you can't predict what they're going to do because they're not trying to win. Uh, so so we enter into a contract when we sit down to play a game. Yeah, we're going to try to win. But that doesn't mean the goal is to win, that I'm only going to have fun if I win. The goal is it's it's. It's, it's like the old saying, it's the journey, not the destination, right? Yeah. Um, we are going to have an experience with each other over yeah. this table, regardless of who wins. Um, and, and you can tell when you play with some people, all they care about is winning. And it really, it, it sucks the joy out of the experience sometimes. Mm. Um, but that's, that's where you have to, have to let the ego go. Let it fall to the side, that it's not about me being smarter um, me being the better strategist, me, me being luckier and getting the right cards <laughs> or any of that. Uh, it's about how we are interacting over this play space. Mm -hmm. What, 
helps you make that shift in the moment in the in the moment when you're mm. when your ego is fired when when you're wanting to win when you're frustrated you know with with your mm. opponent or your teammate i think that's that's where i focus on the relational aspect mm. of the experience mm. um you know if i'm playing and certain intense games where uh there's a game i've been playing recently with a friend of mine that it uh it can feel like if you make one wrong move you have no chance of winning oh wow you 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 could make the the first move of the game actually interesting aside the designers of this game uh have a famous quote where they say if you can't lose a game on the first turn what's the point of having a first turn Oh my god! <laughs> Which is, <laughs> I'm not necessarily saying I agree with that, uh, but it is an interesting philosophy to have about your game. So yeah. there could be a, a, a real source of tension when you're when you're stuck. You're facing a decision in the game: Do I do A? Do I do B? Uh, if I do the wrong one, that could be it, right? But yeah. That's that's when I take a step back and say how much fun will I have if I try A? How much fun will I have if I try B? You know, and not all people are naturally like this. Um, I am, uh, you know, I, if I know how to win a game, I'm going to play and try a different strategy because that's the fun part, seeing how that works out. I'm not sitting down to play just to win. I'm playing to, to find out what happens on the journey. And it helps to know why we play games in general, why games are appealing to human beings. There's a, uh, a game designer named Raf Koster who wrote a fascinating book called The Theory of Fun. Now, he's a video game designer, uh, but the lessons apply. And what he says is that humans evolved, were created, however you want to think about it, our minds are designed to solve or to make patterns. That's what we do. We look out at the world because there's so much sensory information coming in. It's impossible for us to take all of that. So from the moment we're born, our brains start identifying patterns and putting them into chunks that it can use as a shorthand for what's happening in the world out there. We love to do that. There's mm-hmm. a there's an endorphin rush. There's a nice feeling of noticing a pattern that you've identified before in the world or making new patterns, finding, oh, this thing is like that thing. If I do this, this will happen. Um, we, we want to do that. We're drawn to doing that. And that can be as much of a help as it is a hindrance, right? We often see patterns that aren't there. Um, you know, we, we create stereotypes about the world that can get in the way of us truly understanding it. So it's, it's not a perfect system, mm. but we want to do that. But as we get older, it gets harder and harder to do it. In a way, we get we get set in our ways, right? We have our patterns, our Made templates. Our patterns. Yeah, yeah. We have our patterns for how the world works. Games give us a new sandbox. You sit down with a new game, and oh, now I have to figure out new patterns. How do I achieve the goal that I want to achieve? What happens if I do this? And it's just turning on that instinctive part of our brain that wants to that is hungry to find these patterns in things. Hmm. That's fascinating. Hmm. And, and I hear how holding that why, holding that bigger why of why do we play games? Why do we want to play games helps, um, helps to detach from those frustrating moments and the moments that, you know, the, the people who say they don't play games because for them it's about losing or it's about getting beat up. And that's an important reframing. Absolutely. There's a, 
one of my favorite definitions of what a game is, because it could be a hard thing to define. Um, but one of my favorite definitions, a philosopher named Bernard Sweets says that a game is the voluntary attempt to overcome an unnecessary obstacle. Hmm. Um, and just to unpack that a little bit, right? So it's voluntary. We, we, we're not forced to do this. Um, that's where you get into an interesting question about like professional sports. Are they a game? Is that voluntary? But that's another question. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we, we sign up to optionally engage in this activity where there is an obstacle, an arbitrary obstacle that we're trying to overcome. Now that's fascinating because we deal with obstacles all day, right? Life is full of obstacles and many of them can feel incredibly arbitrary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I think that we are drawn to games because we understand why there are arbitrary obstacles in games. Just to think of something silly, right? You're sitting at your desk and you've watered up a piece of paper and you try to throw it at the trash can. Well, the goal is to put the piece of trash into the trash can. It'd be very easy to stand up and go do it. But you say, oh, I'm going to make an arbitrary obstacle where I have to get it there from here. But that makes sense. You can make sense of that in a way that you can't make sense of when your boss asks you to do something strange and, you know, it has something to do with company corporate policy and, you know, so much of the world that just doesn't make sense to us that we have to go along with. Um, but in the context of a game space, we, we feel like we understand. Mm. And that longing for understanding is a huge part, I think, of any spiritual practice, whether it's a longing for understanding or a longing to let go of that longing for understanding. Mm. Um, games just give us a space where I get it. I may not, I may not figure out the best way to do it, but I understand why these obstacles are in place and how there's much more enjoyment from trying to overcome these obstacles than if I just walked over and put the trash in the trash can. Yeah. It's a container for, I mean, for play, but it, it's a container for um, moving through those dynamics, right? A container for moving through the dynamics of pattern making, Absolutely. of agreeing to the obstacle, of agreeing to the goal, of working together. Absolutely. And you are seeing this more and more. There's a, a big buzzword uh, that's been around for maybe the past 10 years is gamification. And this is, uh, I, I don't know if, if it was coined by Jane McGonigal, but uh, she has a very famous TED talk about it where you know, she starts with that question. Why are people spending dozens of hours a week trying to overcome unnecessary obstacles? and enjoying it when they can't stand doing it at work, right? And she goes into the, you know, her theories about why, but the big takeaway is, what if we can make life more like a game? Mm -hmm. And that's why you see the, the prevalence of things, like the Fitbit, right? I, I, I wanna be healthy. Well, if I can track my steps, I suddenly have a goal right there on my arm, it's like a game. I get that immediate feedback. Mm. Great. Let's do it. I mean, there are, there are all sorts of game-like apps for helping you in your daily life, right? Uh, we do it with children. I'm going to set up a sticker sheet, right? A sticker sheet for, you know, you get a sticker on the sheet every time you take out the trash or go to the bathroom or whatever, and they have that immediate feedback. And for them, it's a game. I want to get more stickers. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's trying to make life more bounded and make more sense the way a game is bounded and makes sense. Hmm. That's interesting because I haven't heard that phrase, but when you said the definition of a game, I thought, oh, you know, when you said it's voluntary, voluntary 
to agreement to overcome an arbitrary obstacle. I thought, mm-hmm. oh, that could be any aspect of life. Absolutely. Really. And hmm. Are there areas of your life that you've made into a game? Oh, for sure. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I took my love of games uh, and bought a game store. <laughs> the mm-hmm. games, the, the very game store I mentioned uh, earlier that I went into to learn about games uh, mm-hmm. through an interesting series of events, I ended up purchasing that store. And, you know, I tell people all the time, my job is just a game. I, I play it. I play it with real money, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I when I when I sit in my office and I try to figure out, well, what what games do I order? What are people going to like? How do I how do I market the store more? You know, how do even how do I how do I how do I spend the resources that I have? You know, what's the best way to do that? It's all it's all a game in a lot of ways. Um, maybe it's not, maybe it's not voluntary, but, <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, there's that there talking about the Fitbit. I mean, I recently started getting into shape using one of the thousands of apps out there that sort of, you know, say, here's, here's an exercise program and you're going to get points and you're going to get achievements and you're going to unlock these things, you know? And it's like, that's cool. Yes. I want to, you know, you get up in the morning. I don't, I don't want to go running today, but, but I want to get my star for the day. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I see games everywhere. Hmm. Kylie, I was wondering if you would share a bit about, uh, your spiritual journey. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I was, I've always been a thinker. Uh, you know, I, I got an undergraduate degree in philosophy, immediately went into grad school uh, to work on a PhD in philosophy. And in hindsight, though I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a believer of any kind, I was always searching for something, searching for meaning, searching for truth. And in the, at the end of the, of the 2000, 2000 aughts, I don't know what they call them, uh, yeah. but, <laughs> but at the end of the first decade of the 2000s, uh, I sort of underwent uh, a spiritual crisis of my own, an existential crisis. I was a philosopher. We don't have spiritual crises. <laughs> we have existential crises. Um, and uh, through that process, uh, I, I began to believe, um, believe in God. Um, a lot of that was shaped by uh, the woman who's now my wife, uh, who was going, who had always been a believer, but was going through her own spiritual crisis at the time. But I just, I, I had experiences that can, that convinced me, convinced is not the right word. I had experiences Mm -hmm. that led me to continually, to decide to continually believe Mm -hmm. that those experiences were real Mm -hmm. uh, and to have faith that there is, there is a divine being um, and a divine being that cares about mm-hmm. me and what I'm doing. Of course, at the end of all this, this was also when I ended up losing my job, um, sort of set adrift uh, to find a new path. Was that, was, was that a scary time or what was that like for you? No, it was, it was a freeing time. Mm. Um, I think that, I mean, I had learned by that point that maybe academic, being in academia wasn't necessarily where I wanted to go for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was exciting. Um, mm-hmm. Not knowing what I was going to do. I certainly didn't think I was going to be a small business owner. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just spent a couple of years working at a coffee shop and just being, you know, and that was, that was important because I mean, there were a lot of new things happening in my life at that point. I was newly married and newly a person of faith. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. What does my life look like? And and as somebody who's always a thinker, yeah, you know that kind of shifting into other areas. Absolutely, I'm 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 very glad. My immediate thought, of course, was I should go to seminary. Mm. <laughs> this is what I'm an academic. This is what I should do. And I'm, I'm very glad that I had the wherewithal to tell myself, no, do something different. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
you know, I was, I was trying to find what my purpose is. And at the time, I certainly didn't think of gaming as a higher calling of any mm-hmm. of any sort. Much like uh, you said in my intro, you know, games games can have a stigma to them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're frivolous. They're time wasting, uh, time killers. Oh, the number of times a day someone comes into my store and say, "Oh, I'm just killing time." I think to myself, "What did what did time ever do to you?" And you got to kill it that way. <laughs> Um, but it was actually, uh, my pastor who said, this was a couple years into uh, me working at the store and, and considering this a career trajectory. He said that I was a, a missionary to the gaming population of Pittsburgh. And by that, he didn't mean, you know, you know, in between turns, I'm quoting the gospel to them. Uh, but just that I'm helping people find relationship with others Mm. over the gaming table, which in my opinion is a powerful way to find relationship. Um, I, I've often said that I don't think I truly get to know someone until I've played a game with them. Mm. Um, I can learn more about them in a half an hour game than six hours of deep conversation. Thinking about that, that phrase that you're a missionary and in that word, you know, missionary light gamer is a mm-hmm. word that carries a lot of, a lot of baggage. Um, and hearing that very different meaning to it mm-hmm. for you. Um, and I wonder what was it like for you when he said that? <sighs> Largely it was confusing at first. Mm. Um, because I did, I think, well, what what does that mean? Am I, (laughs) am I supposed to be spouting gospel to them? Um, but it was also scary because it meant, okay, what does that mean? I'm supposed to hold myself to a certain standard, Mm. um, which I quickly realized maybe, but I already held myself to that standard. Right. What's the um, standard? To to be a good facilitator of games. Right. So it's not just another way of, of moving the ego out of the way. It's it's certainly not about me winning a game, but it's not even about me playing the game that I want to play. It's about me f- playing the game that is going to help this group connect with each other. Mm. Um you know, and that's that's a skill I've cultivated as a necessity as, as part of my career, but one that I think I had some natural affinity for of, you know, you tell me what you're looking for in an experience, who the other people are that you want to have this experience with. Let's find the game that will facilitate that. Yeah. Could be a three hour long heavy strategy game, could be a five minute silly party game could be something cooperative, uh, could, you know, any number of things. Mm-hmm. But finding that is in, in many ways my mission. And I suppose if you, if you think about it, this has been my own seminary, right? Um, mm-hmm. I've, if this is my mission, I have made it my career. Yeah. Hmm. And um, I want to affirm that you are very good at it. <laughs> Thanks. And it's, um, yeah, as, as you were describing that mission, I was seeing my family playing the game Mysterium that mm-hmm. you helped Aiden, my brother and I to pick out and the joy and the fun and the deep connection that that has brought to my family. And, you know, nobody calls it prayer. Nobody says it's prayer, but it is absolutely holy ground. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's relationship building. I mean, we're drawn to it because, because of the finding patterns and, and, and those things, but it's a, it's a way of discovering 
how you interact with other pl players, other people, but also how they interact with each other. Um, mm -hmm. Learning how they think, learning how they lose, that's important. But it, it really does bring us together. And especially, especially I, you know, recommend to so many people start with a cooperative game. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the easiest way when there's teamwork involved to, to really dig down deep and find that point of connection, find the points where you are thinking similarly, but more importantly, find the points where you're thinking differently mm. and explore that space. You know, it's just a game. Rewind it, start it over, you know, take back a move and see how things turn out differently. That's one of the big advantages games have over life. Mm. Mm. And how, I'm curious for you, how the connection between that and spiritual practice. Mm. The primary focus for me now is on relationships. So uh, I'll give you an example. Yesterday I was playing a game at the store. Uh, it's this game called Medium. And the goal is to try to think of the exact same word as your partner. Mm. So uh, your partner will, you'll have a hand of cards with words on them. So your partner will put down a card with a word on it. And then I'll pick out a card to put down. So now we have two words on the table and we're hoping that we can both think of the same word that somehow combines those two words. So um, my partner put down the word labyrinth. So I'm looking at the word labyrinth on the table and I'm looking at all of the cards in my hand. Mm -hmm. So I pick out the, the word captain. So now we have on the table captain and labyrinth. And I picked out that word because I had a word in mind. And you know the person I was playing with, I know fairly well, I have a suspicion, I think I can get him, I think he'll think of the same word I'm thinking of. Mm. Um, so he says he's got the word, we look at each other and we count down three, two, one, and then we say the word. So we count three, two, one, and both of us at the same time say Minotaur, because I was thinking the you know, the Greek, the Greek story of the Minotaur and the labyrinth, and he's the captain of the labyrinth. That's where my mind went, and I suspected his mind could go there too. But in that moment, when we shouted out together, there's this recognition that we are thinking the same way. We're on the same page. And that is a small moment of spiritual relationship between us. Mm -hmm. But to me, it also reminds me of that relationship to God, that God knows my mind, God knows, how my brain would form patterns and think in that way. And it's interesting too, because the other people playing, they had no idea that, <laughs> you know, they said, I never would have thought Minotaur, uh, you know, and depending on who my partner was, I might not have gone there because you have to think, you have to think about um, that. And it's that form of relationship, that being on the same page, it's, it's some of the best parts of, working in a team, mm. right? Um, you know, anyone who's worked in a high energy team environment, you know, I've worked in restaurants and when you're, when you're just flowing, when you're on the same page, I put the dish out and they put the food on it and we're not even looking at each other. You know, that's, that's, it's a feeling that we are not separate entities in that moment. We are working completely in tandem. And to me, that is a spiritual feeling. That's reminding me that I'm not isolated. Yeah. I am a part of a greater thing. And in so many of these games, you mentioned Mysterium, a game that you've played with your family. It has those same moments. Mm -hmm. In that game, you are handing out a, an image, a very abstract image, and hoping that your teammates can interpret it the way you've just interpreted it. Mm -hmm. it's finding that connection, being on the same page. Mm. And to me, that is an incredibly spiritual experience. Yeah. 
my wife and I actually uh, use a term from a game whenever, you know, whenever we know exactly what the other person's thinking or wants in that moment. Uh, we call it a Hanabi moment after a game called Hanabi that, that forces us to do that, that forces us to make a leap of faith, make a trust that the other person knows what I'm thinking right now and is going to do what I expect them to do without me saying it. Mm. Of course, it fails often. <laughs> you know, in your daily life, you you know, I'll set this out, assuming the other person's going to know that they need to do this with it, and they don't. And, and we just say that was a Hanabi fail. Which that, um, hmm. that it can just as easily be a, a reminder of our disconnect as our connection. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and yet to celebrate the moments of connection and, and that for me connects to the spiritual life that, you know, we have these practices or these ways of opening up to, ex, um, to experience God's presence. And we don't always experience it. You know, it's mm-hmm. not all, um, joy and rainbows and consolation. Um, and, and yet we continue to show up and yet, and, and just celebrate and hold, hold the moments of joy and connection with open hands and appreciate them for what they are, knowing that it's not always going to be like that. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. The moments when it fails. The moments when it fails just remind us how great the moments when it works are. Yeah. The dance, there's there's a dance there of um, connection and disconnection. And, you know, the reality that we are all connected, um, the reality that we are not alone, and yet we often feel alone. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. And I feel that. I mean, I feel that in games, you can feel when it's not working, right? The other person isn't engaged or they're too engaged, you know, and they're caring too much about winning or I'm not engaged. Hmm. And that's okay. Hmm. I hear in that, um, that posture is really important in game playing, like the, the way which ties to what you said earlier about, um, you know, about the goal and holding the goal, but the relationship being the key, but that how you show up to the game matters. And yeah. And that for me also connects to the spiritual life, right? That, um, yeah, just how we show up, how we move through our days, how we are present matters. Yes. Yes. I mean, I think about in my work life, you know, I, I show people games all day and I show them, I don't show them games expecting them to buy them. I show them games because I want them to have a, a small moment of connection, yeah, a small moment of fun, you know, and, you know, some of, some of the best game players I know are ones who want to play anything. Even if they know going in, it's not something they're going to really enjoy, but they want to experience that, that moment of exploring it with fresh eyes, exploring it with someone else who's exploring it with fresh eyes of seeing what's being done. So they, they know that the goal, as you said, the goal is not always to win or to add it to my collection or, not even necessarily to have fun. That's such a, such a weird mm. word. <laughs> um, but it's just to experience mm. a thing um, and to to experience it with with your hands open to receive to receive whatever experience that game has for you. Mm. Can you say a little more about um, not even necessarily to have fun? Because what I heard as you said that was, oh, yes, I think I've often felt myself or heard others say, you know, playing a game, well, this isn't fun, you mm-hmm. know, and it's like, fail, this is failed. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, that, I, it is a very hard thing to define um, because fun is a weird word. What does fun mean? 
you know, I go back to, I was talking earlier about, you know, games that are so full of tension. I could lose on the very first turn of the game, you know, and I, I, I will sit down to play this game and I'm agonizing. <laughs> what do I do? I don't want to make the wrong move. Am I having fun in that moment? Mm. Fun doesn't seem like the word I use. And yet I'm, I'm voluntarily sitting here. I knew what I was in for. <laughs> I wanted to do this thing. Um, and I think that's, that's where it comes back to recognizing the different goals of the game. You know, not necessarily to win, not necessarily to have fun, um, though I certainly would hope you would most of the time, um, but to, to deepen your connection with the game, you know, find new patterns, uh, and to deepen your connection with other players. I mean, we do play games for all sorts of reasons. You know, my wife, bless her, she has played so many games that she knew she would not enjoy. um because there's a relationship there there's there's a shared activity that we want to do that supersedes any thoughts of fun or time wasting or winning or any of the other reasons we might say we have for playing a game yeah i have I have a kind of a big question for you, Mm -hmm. which is in, in this mission field of your store, in that work, what, what have you learned through that of who God is? Hmm. What have I learned through that of who God is? Mm -hmm. Or what, what has God revealed of God's self. I'm going to, I'm going to cheat a little bit. This wasn't something that, that I came up with, but um, there's a, uh, there's a, there's a place here in Pittsburgh called the center for play and exploration. And uh, the gentleman who runs his name's Dave Bindenwald. And uh, I took a, a course with him about play and he has a fascinating view of why play is important and, and why play exists. And he says that God created an incredibly good world. The world is good, 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 extravagantly good. And the example he uses is the purpose of beetles is to are to you know recycle the detritus of the forest floor and, and turn it into compost. You only need one kind of beetle to do that, mm. and there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of mm. species of beetles. Why is that? Why would God make so extravagantly <laughs> more than the world needs to operate? He says that is, that is proof that God wants us to play, to go out and explore. If there was one kind of beetle, we would have found it, figured it out, dissected it, and be done. Mm. But now you can spend lifetimes studying just a few different varieties of beetles, right? There's so much in the world that the only conclusion is that God wants us to play and explore. And I take that a step further. With all of that in the world, we have also been given the ability to create our own things to explore, to create games, right? We shouldn't need them. (laughs) Um, there's, There's so much in the world that we could apply our brains to doing, and yet we can also just make our own. So. Uh, I'm, I'm cribbing from him a little bit, but that is that is something recently that I've thought that that it has taught me about God. That God wants us to play. If anything, it's when we stop playing, when we stop seeing the world as interesting, unique, full of so many different things, 
when we stop being interested in figuring out how things work. Right? That's when we that's when we get set in our ways. That's when we experience spiritual malaise. Yeah. Um, you know, we have to we have to continually approach the world with the mind of a child. Mm. With a mind that wants to play and explore and have fun. Mm. So and that and that realization is something that helps give me permission to do what I do. You know, when people say when people say games, really? Uh so many problems in the world and you you play games? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, the to solve the problems in the world is also playing a game in some way, figuring out what those obstacles are, finding the patterns, solving the puzzle. That makes your work sound like such a joyful space. <laughs> it, it really is. I'm incredibly, incredibly lucky to get to do what I do. Hmm. I have one more big question mm -hmm. for you. Um, thinking about what you said earlier about if you play a game, you know, you, you learn more about someone in a mm -hmm. half hour game. And I am and thinking about relationship with God. And I'm curious if you've ever played a game with God. Hmm. Wow. That's it's an interesting book title, Playing Games with God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I mean, I'll say that's a very new thought to me because I think yeah. about, I don't know that I've had a six hour conversation with God. <laughs> have yeah. deep conversations, right? But I don't yeah. know. I don't know what that would mean. Um, what would that mean to play a game with God? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I guess. We play games with God in the sense of, you know, sometimes, sometimes we ask God for a sign, right? We say, God, if I'm supposed to do this, just, you know, put something in my path <laughs> and maybe that thing comes and maybe that doesn't, um, hmm. you know, that's, that's, that's putting an arbitrary obstacle on God, right? You need to do X or Y. To <laughs> this is how you're communicating with me. Um, hmm. That's a fascinating idea. You know, I think a lot of that's going to, to play a game with God is going to really require you to think about what you think, who you think God is, mm -hmm. right? So if you have this, uh, this view of an omniscient, omnipresent God, you would say, well, I can't play a game with God. God knows everything already, right? <laughs> um, God, God will cheat. Um, but will God agree? Where that takes place, will God agree to this because God also desires deeper relationships? Right, right, exactly. So then, you know, if you add that third omni that people have, omnibenevolent, right? I, think about it when you, if you play games with children, mm. um, there's this idea, you know, do you let children win? Do you let someone win, period, when you play a game? Um, do you intentionally limit your ability to play your best hmm. for the sake of the enjoyment of the game? And in that sense, I think, I, I do believe that God does that. You know, if we believe, depending on, de depending on how much power we believe God has, you say, well, why isn't God doing this? Why isn't God doing that? God is limiting God's self mm. for some reason, you know, for some deeper reason. I mean, if you go from the, the Christian tradition, which I come from, I mean, that's exactly what Jesus was. Yeah. God mm. limiting God's self to flesh and blood, allowing a sacrifice to happen for the sake of a greater relationship with humankind. And, and, you know, and you'll see similar stories in other religious traditions, I'm sure. Hmm. That is an interesting one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna carry that thought with me. Yeah, I will too. We'll have to talk again. <laughs> hmm. Kylie, was there anything that you wanted to share that you haven't gotten to yet? 
Well, I think that, um, you know, a lot of people may be listening and, and say, wow, this sounds really cool. Yeah. What, <laughs> what do I play? How do I get yeah. started? You know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was just suggest you, you adopt and adopt that attitude of play and exploration, you know, uh, find like-minded people, get your family involved if you can. And really the easiest way to do it is to try a cooperative game. There are many, many games out there that aren't about me winning over you. It's about us trying to win over the game and they really promote communication and teamwork. And that's the easiest starting point to understanding how the game can facilitate relationship. I would hope, I would, I would hope you have a nice friendly local game store that you could go to and <laughs> talk to the people there uh, about what you're looking for. Uh, or it's not always the case, but. And if you don't, it's definitely worth making the trip to Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, you can. You can always come to Pittsburgh and look me up. Well, <laughs> I'll find something for you. Mm. Wow, Kylie, thank you so much. This has been a joy, Lauren. It was. It was fun to think about these things. Thanks. It's a joy for me too. Listeners, thank you for exploring with us today. I hope. I hope it brought you joy as well. You can learn more about games Kylie mentioned at the Games Unlimited website, gamesunl.com. There are also links to all the resources that Kylie mentioned in our show notes. I hope that today's conversation inspires you to play, quite literally. Um, And if it does, and you'd like to share about it, I would love to hear. You can reach me at my website, laurenburdett.com. If you enjoyed the conversation, please share it. Share it with your family or with friends and invite them into the conversation space as well. Finally, our music, as always, is by the band This Side of Eve. And you can find all of their music at thissideofeve.bandcamp.com as well as on Spotify. I'll be back in a couple weeks with a new conversation. Thanks again.